Father, we just thank you for Norman, Lord, as he brings the word at King's in Stowmarket, Lord. Be with him, Lord. And just let him, let the words that you've given him penetrate and stir hearts of the church in, in Stowmarket, Lord. And Father, as David prepares and has prepared and is bringing the word this morning, Lord, Lord, let your word fall on fertile ground, Lord. And Lord, let us receive the word with gladness, with joy, Lord. And Lord, let us not only be hearers of the word, but let us be doers of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. That's great. Joel, could we have our picture, please? That would be wonderful. Can we turn in our Bibles, please, to Luke 22, 14 to 20? And I should have a picture here in a second. Maybe we can just... Can we all see that? Can we just get the curtains closed or something? That would be great. Thanks. It's quite a famous uh, picture. Anyone know what this picture's called? The Last Supper, yeah. Who painted it? Leonardo da Vinci. In what year? I had to look this up. 1495. Guys, Leonardo did his best to do justice to what happened at this particular dinner time. There's a few problems with this picture when I take a first glance. I haven't studied it in massive levels of detail, but one, everyone in that picture is a white European. They wouldn't have been white European men. Secondly, they're all on the same side of the table for some obscure reason. (laughs) And thirdly, there's no way that view out the window is Jerusalem. (laughs) So there's a few problems I see with that. And guys, the stuff, what happens at this meal is monumental in the history of the world, and it changes everything. So just like Leonardo did his best to do justice to it, I'm going to do my absolute best to do justice to what happens at this meal because freedom is at stake. I um, remember as I was preparing this, I always have little memories from my childhood for some reasons when I'm preparing sermons. And I just remember my father used to drive me to school uh, when I went to high school because his work was opposite my school. And he used to put this radio station on called Long Wave Radio Atlantic 252. Can anyone remember that radio station? You can, same generation. And uh, they used to play this song all the time on it called Whatever by Oasis. And the lyric of that song was, I'm free to be whatever I want to be, basically. So I thought, that's fantastic news. Because I want to be a professional footballer. And I mapped the whole thing out. I went to my garden and I planned the whole thing out. What was going to happen was, I was going to be playing football at the park with my friends, minding my own business, Alex Ferguson was going to be in Belfast for the weekend. He was going to be walking along. He was going to see my skill. And he was going to be dumbfounded. And he, he was going to recruit me to go and play for Manchester United. I was going to join the team, probably about 15 or 16 years old. And, you know, the story went on. We won everything, really, and I was the best player. And Northern Ireland won the World Cup as well. And thank you for the laughter there. They did get to the quarterfinals when I was in my mother's womb, 1982. But anyway, that's what I wanted when I was younger. I really wanted this. But I heard this interview recently by um, a guy called Wayne Rooney, who you've probably all heard of, and he told the story as to what it was really like. 
And he said, well, people say to me, you know, you can buy any house you want, you can go anywhere you want in the world, you can have any car you want. And he said, but I'm not free because I can't go to the park with my children without being hassled with by people wanting selfies and autographs and wanting to talk to me about everything. He's not free. People, we are, we are, we are told stuff is going to give us freedom, and it doesn't. I wanted certain trainers and certain clothes when I was at school, and when I got them, I saved them, I got them, they didn't bring me freedom. My, my dear, one of my uh, relatives, a dear uncle of mine, um, he believes the lie that alcohol will bring him freedom. So it's become a priority for him. It's destroying his marriage. It's destroying his body. He's lost his driving license several times. It doesn't give him freedom. It enslaves him. So many things that we are promised that offer freedom just entrap us. And what happens at this meal is the real deal. It's the real thing that's going to bring us freedom. So like I said, I'm going to try my best to do this justice. The date is Thursday, I think, the 14th of the Hebrew month of Nisan, which is around March, April, our time. The year, there's a little bit of debate on the year, but I think AD 33. This meal occurs. This is the Thursday night before the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. That's the night we're at. That's the night. What he's doing that night is he's sitting, I think, around the table with his disciples, sharing a meal. Something very powerful about sharing a meal together. I was blessed to grow up in a home where, where we would sit around the dinner table and we would eat together. And a lot of good things happened around the dinner table. And when I went to my friend Mark's house, uh, his home was different. And I found it alien that his father would arrive home from work, go into the kitchen get his dinner, leave the family, sit down, stick the telly on, and eat his dinner. Can I encourage you not to do that regularly? Eat with people. Eat with your friends, your brothers, your sisters. Eat with your family. When I go to the retreat once a year with, with Terry, Terry Virgo and a bunch of leaders, the first time I went, I was thinking, I, sh- I could be doing something far more important than this. We're just sitting around the table, eating, having coffee, Really, looking back, powerful things happen over meals together. Let's look at this one. So we've got our text on. Oh, Joel, Luke 22, 14 to 20. This is the Last Supper. When the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup, 
that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. Guys, what's happening at this meal? I really hope I can do this justice. But what's happening at this meal? We see the end of the old covenant, this meal. The end of the Old Testament happens at this meal. The start of the new covenant, the New Testament happens over this meal. A covenant is a legally binding agreement between two parties. Just to define that for you. I have a couple of covenants. One is with my wife. I've promised things to her, and she's promised things to me. I have another covenant, one with my bank. I have promised to pay back what they lent me for my house in a mortgage. That they're examples of covenants, and God in his kindness makes arrangements, covenants with mankind. And here we see the end of the covenant. At this meal, this is not just the institution of the Lord's Supper, which we're going to have a little later. This is the last, this is controversial perhaps for some of you, but this is the last legitimate Passover meal. The Passover meal has been celebrated every year for 500 years up to this meal. And tonight, God in Christ brings it to an end. The Passover meal, I just told you about a song from Oasis, I am free to be whatever I. I'm free to be whatever I. The Passover meal celebrates something wonderful for the people of Israel. The people of Israel spent 400 years in slavery. None of us know what that's like. In slavery in a foreign nation. 400 years. 400 years ago, guys, was 1623. 400 years where every baby, got a little baby over here, every baby born into that family grew up without the choice of what they're going to do for a job, without the choice of where they're going to go on holiday or what they're going to, what they're going to, where they're going to live or what they're going to do. 400 years. And the Passover is a wonderful celebration of the deliverance of God because God raises up a man called Moses and he delivers the people with 10 plagues. The 10th plague was a terrible plague, a plague where the angel of death swept into the land of Egypt and killed the firstborn of every man and beast. But the Passover was a way that the people could be spared. The judgment. The lamb dies. The blood is put on the doorpost of the house. And when the angel of death sees that blood, he passes over and there's no judgment that hits that home. This tells us that the deliverance that we need, that give us the freedom that we're talking about, requires death. I hate death. I hate death. Our deliverance requires death, but the Passover shows us that that death can be the death of a substitute, an innocent substitute. And the lamb is a pointer to that innocent substitute because a lamb cannot sin. Animals are not moral beings. Guys, every single Passover lamb 
Have you ever read any read Leviticus and Numbers and you see all the sacrifices, you see the doves, you see the goats, you see the, you see the lambs, you see the bulls all dying? Every single one of those sacrifices is pointing to Jesus Christ. Every one of those sacrifices pointing to the true, perfect Passover lamb. And I want to put, get you to put your, put your shoes. Put your, I've already asked you to put your feet into the, the, the Israelites' shoes of 400 years of slavery. And I want to put you into Jesus' shoes. Jesus is God. He enters into mankind in the person Jesus Christ. So he lives 30 plus years on earth among the people of Israel. And every year, he celebrates the Passover. He sees animals dying, sacrificed, constantly. And he knows that every single one of those sacrifices is pointing to what's going to happen to him. As he's eating this Passover lamb tonight, he knows that the next day, he's about to become the Passover lamb. How are you feeling if you're Jesus? We sang this morning, such love. Now, I've been nervous about certain things in my life. I remember being terrified of my school formal. I remember being so nervous about taking this girl. I didn't really know that well. I got set up, so I had a date. I remember being absolutely terrified the night before. Nervous about so many things, but you imagine how Jesus is feeling. This is the night before he is going to become the Passover lamb. It's the night before he's about to be killed and slaughtered for the sins of the world. And when the hour came, this is the start of the Passover. A few weeks ago, I preached about how Judas betrayed or how Judas was enticed to betray the Lord Jesus. But I want to just tell you something that, that, that the Passover lamb is a willing sacrifice. There's no coincidence that Jesus' death happens at Passover season. He's the Passover lamb. He is in complete control of all things. He's in control of Judas. He's in control of the high priests. He's in control of the uh, Pilate. Pilate who declares Jesus innocent and yet sentences him to death. He's in control of all of that. John chapter 10. Verse 18, no one takes my life from me, I lay it down of my own accord. No one takes Jesus' life for him. We talked about protection on the church earlier. Nothing can stop the church going forward. Jesus is more powerful than any demon. He's more powerful than Satan. He's more powerful than anything. He lays his own life down of his own accord and he reclines at table. This is the night before Jesus' betrayal. Sorry, this is the night of his betrayal, the night before his death. And what's he doing? He's reclining at table. It looks like he's having a relaxed night, but this is a busy night that Jesus has got. He is going to offer up his high priestly prayer. He's going to predict Peter's denial of him. He's going to deal with the disciples, thinking about who the best person is. He's going to wash their feet. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to be arrested. But on that night, despite the busyness, he is having dinner with his apostles. He's going to have his dinner with his apostles. He's going to end something, and he's going to start something. 
See what we're going to do a bit later on today? Have the bread and drink the wine. The apostles were taught this there and then. They took it, they understood it, and they passed it on. And guys, what we're going to do today has been happening for 2,000 years. All over the globe, men and women are eating the bread and drinking the wine, remembering Jesus, because the apostles took it and they handed it on. And we are part of that as well. Long after we're gone, this is going to happen. Long after we're gone, this is going to happen. He said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus is the, there's 613 laws in the Old Testament. My auntie, who's not a Christian, she makes fun of them. 613 laws. Jesus Christ is the only person who's ever fulfilled every single one of them. He honors the Passover on his last night before he suffers. I really, really don't like suffering. I really don't like suffering. There's massive different uh, ranges of suffering from when you hurt yourself to when someone betrays you or someone slanders you, someone lets you down. There's awful, awful, awful sufferings. And I speak to a lot of people that actually through my work, they just come and they offload. They come in for their eyes, but they tell me, they tell me everything. Cancers, people who've been abused, war, that awful turmoil that many men and women deal with, which I dealt with myself when I was younger, of depression that you can't explain. Suffering is just horrendous. And there's different types of suffering. And it's like, I saw a bee the other day, I was with Joel and Caleb on the way to at the hangout, and I felt sorry for the bee because it looked like it was suffering and I put it out of its misery. But then last Christmas, our, our, our little hamster had cancer and was suffering. And, you know, there's a tear shed by my daughter for this hamster. This hamster's precious. When our dog had her hysterectomy and she was whimpering, I felt sorry for the dog because it understands more of the pain that it's suffering. I shared before about my friend who died when he was 12, leukemia, Ian Davidson, my friend in, in Ireland. He very sad. You know, he, I remember seeing him when he had gray hair when he was 12, just, just body falling to bits, and he, and he died. And it wasn't a pleasant death. He suffered. The higher the understanding, the higher the value of the beings, I, I, I do believe a human's got more value than a bee the more the suffering hurts and the more you can empathize with the suffering. I want to just tell you, for all of you who are suffering, Jesus says, I'm going to eat this with you before I suffer. Jesus suffered. So whenever people say that question, why does God allow suffering? We don't actually know fully. Certainly not in every situation, but one thing we know is he cares and he is an infinite being with infinite understanding, so he suffers infinitely. He's a good, good God. You can trust him. You can trust him in the good times, and you can trust him when you are suffering. Before he suffers, knowing he's about to become the Passover lamb, he takes the cup. He takes the cup. Now, I'm going to take you through a standard Passover meal. It's a long meal. It's, it's much longer than what we do here with the bread and wine. 
He takes the cup. This is the first of four cups of diluted wine that they drink. This is the cup of blessing. When they remember the blessings of God, Jesus does this knowing he's about to suffer more than anyone has ever suffered in the history of time before and after. He takes the cup of blessing. They remember the blessings of God. They then wash themselves, a bit like our Muslim friends still do now. This is ceremonial cleaning, showing we need to be cleansed of our sins. We need to be cleansed of our sins. They do that. They then eat They then eat bitter herbs. They eat the bitter herbs because they're remembering 400 years of generation after generation after generation being born with no choice, with no freedom, and oppressed. They remember those difficult years. After this, they sing praise to God. They have a second cup of diluted wine, and they explain the meaning of the Passover, which I did to you earlier. There's a third cup of wine, a fourth cup of wine, and this is strung out over many, many hours. This is a long, long meal, and Jesus does it carefully on the night before his death. At this point, guys, the Passover finishes, because this Passover has been pointing to the perfect sacrifice for 500 years. The next day, the perfect sacrifice is made. The old covenant ends. I hope I do this justice. He then takes the bread. This is the start of the Lord's Supper, which we're going to do today. It's the first Lord's Supper. He takes bread, and when he'd given thanks, he breaks it. This doesn't symbolize Jesus' body being broken, because the Passover lamb, no bones allowed to be broken. And Jesus' body is killed, but not a single bone is broken. He breaks it, And he gives it. And this shows us that those who take of the bread, those who take of Jesus, are the ones who receive the blessing of this new covenant. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. We need to do this in remembrance of Jesus because we can forget. Every year as a boy, I was taken to our local Presbyterian church at Remembrance Sunday. And these people who just looked absolutely ancient to me when I was like 10, who probably only about 60 or 70, they walked down the center with their medals and they would lay the wreath and we would remember we have a freedom because men and women died. Men and women died so we could be free. And there was a sign above the wreath and you've probably all seen it before yourselves, lest we forget. Because we can easily forget. We in our day-to-days, we forget the sacrifice that that generation made for us. We do. We do this regularly to remember what Jesus did for us. Likewise, he takes the cup after they had eaten it and said, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This is the new covenant in my blood. This moment, like I said earlier, is, 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 is monumental, it's epic. Think of a cool word for something amazing that I'm a bit behind dazed. used to be wicked when I was younger. This is phenomenal, what happens right here. At this moment, at a meal, the whole end of the sacrificial system that you can read about and get confused about in the Old Testament comes to an end. There's no need 
There is no more sacrifice of bulls and goats and lambs and, and, uh, and birds. It all comes to an end. The ceremonial law comes to an end. 613 laws. All the dietary requirements come to an end. The Sabbath comes to an end because Jesus is our Sabbath. Jesus is our rest. All the separation between Jew and non-Jew ends. We are grafted in with the Jews and become part of God's people. A special people called the priests would offer sacrifices for the people from a family um, called the Levites. That all comes to an end at this point. I hope I'm doing this justice. You'll look a bit confused. This is incredible. This is freedom. This is freedom. This is freedom. You know, my mother grew up in a in a in a in a church, and I I, I can't go back and see what she sees, but she seems to have a bondage on her from, she spoke with Norman and Norman said that it was religious abuse. It's like to be, to be saved, you have to go to church like five times a day. They wouldn't, they wouldn't have said this, but this is, what she, this is what she feels. And all these religious rules that she has on her life have destroyed her simple faith and trust in in Jesus, the freedom he brings. Matthew puts it this way about this new covenant, this new legally binding agreement. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. There are many ideologies in the world. There are many religions in the world. There are many promises in the world. I've heard of religions offering inner peace. Peace is a good thing. Our, is, our Islamic friends, my brother is a Muslim. Submission to Allah, submission to the law of God. But guys, the new covenant is poured out for many, for our greatest need. And only Jesus can give us this. That is the forgiveness of sins. Our greatest need is the forgiveness of sins. And that leads to the peace. This new covenant was prophesied in Jeremiah 31. I'm going to read it to you. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. It's not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. God takes the people by the hand, he says, this is intimate, out of Egypt, out of slavery. My covenant that they broke. That covenant didn't save. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. Andy shared. But God's still working on you, Andy, isn't he? 
instinct is I'm going to get out and I'm going to shout at that person who's just bumped me or gone too close to my car. But God is changing his heart. The new covenant gives us a new heart. Ezekiel said, I'm going to take your heart of stone and going to give you a heart of flesh. Now, before I actually really do love you guys, I really do love you. When you aren't doing well, I actually grieve. And when you're doing well, I rejoice. And if I ever text any of you to say, I want to meet up, it's because I actually care about you. Just so you know. But this is a sign that God has changed my heart. Because growing up, I really just cared about myself and my immediate family. I didn't really care about people. Maybe you were nicer than me by nature. But as I, he's just changed my heart. And it's inconvenient at times. Because love is painful. Changes our hearts in the new covenant. Secondly, I will be their God. I had lots of other gods beforehand. I made an image of God in my head that was totally different to the God of the Bible. A God who didn't mind about my, my sin. But now the true God is my God. They shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. I remember sitting in this pastor's family's living room. And I was a brand new inquirer. And I remember just thinking, these people speak about God as if he's actually real. Because I always had this kind of Santa Claus kind of view, like he's not actually there. But these people really believed. We shall all know him in this new covenant. And I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sin no more. This covenant saves. The apostle Paul, who was a religious extremist, a terrorist, terrorist of his day you saw that 9-11 thing those years ago this is, this is like Paul he's killing people for religious reasons and he experienced a new covenant he said it this way for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin on that cross Jesus becomes sin but he knew no sin that means he never loved anything more than God he never ever lied. I've lied. I'm pretty sure you have too. He never coveted just wanting something of someone else's. He never looked with sexual desire. He never stole. He never dishonored his earthly parents. He never ate too much, never drank too much. He never gossiped. He never murdered. He never hurt anyone. He never ever ever sinned. Basically, what happens is that God treats Jesus as if he lived our lives so that he can treat us like we lived his. That is where true freedom is. The new covenant. So guys, our door is opened. The door is open because of what happened at this meal. The old covenant has come to an end. The new covenant in Jesus' blood has come to a beginning. We love freedom. But there's an opportunity today. There's just an opportunity for us. 
It's an opportunity for us to enter into full freedom. Why don't you stand with me for a moment? I just want you to I'll ask you to close your eyes or just, to just give a little bit of attention to this. Perhaps you've trusted in something else or you are trusting in something else to give you freedom. It's religion, occult, money. Well, take a moment to turn from that and put your trust in Jesus. Holy Spirit, I ask you to honor that, Lord, and everyone who's prayed that prayer in their hearts. Help them to turn and trust in you and not in that which brings slavery. Perhaps you're relying on religious good deeds. There's a very annoying dog in my family, which I told you about before, Meg. And she bites other dogs. But if you tie her up, she doesn't. And the weird thing is, if you put the lead on her and don't tie it up, she thinks she's tied up. And she doesn't run after the other dogs. I feel like some of you are still acting like you're under the law, not grace. And Holy Spirit, I just ask you to show each person here the wonder of the gospel that you have just released us from, sin. And Father, I want to pray for anyone who struggles with shame, perhaps what they've done in their past, Nothing gets in the way of the love of God. Release people from shame. And I pray that every one of my brothers and sisters here would enjoy the freedom that you offer. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, where's my band? Can we have a song? And While we worship here, when you're ready, come to the table just looked at the first communion this won't be the last one the Bible says when you take this examine yourselves there's anything in your life that is not of God before you come to the table turn from it and when we take the bread and we drink the wine remembering the Passover lamb Jesus that died in our place and for our sins Just give thanks for that, Brian.